Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I am Raven X and alongside me as always is Big E, a.k.a. Ethan Tate, a.k.a. someone who needs to be the Memphis Tigers football team's new play caller. How you doing today, Ethan? Oh, what's, how do you, how do you spell Spain without the S? It's been a, it's been a rough sports week for me, so I'm not in the greatest of moods, but overall I'm doing okay. Believe me, I understand that Thursday game was a piece of crap, but I can't be mad at anybody but the squad. But it's all good because I'm not mad at the show we have today. Of course, we're going to talk two of the biggest NFL signings of the week. Cam Newton returning to Carolina. Of course, OBJ headed to LA. We're also going to do mid-season favorite team reviews, looking at our team's strength and weaknesses, team MVPs, and all that good stuff. Moving on to the NBA, we are going to talk the Morris versus Jokic brothers beef and whose side we are on. And then we're going to close out the show with the discussion of if Kyrie Irving is really a top four all-time point guard. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Without further ado, let's go ahead and take a look back at this past week of NFL action, starting with Thursday Night Football. The Indianapolis Colts defeated the New York Jets 45-30. Broncos shot Cowboys 30-16. Ravens beat Vikings in overtime 34-31. Falcons beat Saints 27-25. Miami Dolphins defeat the Texans 17-9. Browns win the Battle of Ohio versus the uh, Cincinnati Bengals 41-16. Giants beat Raiders 23-16. Jags upset the Bills 9-6. Um, Patriots defeat the Panthers 24-6. Panthers, I mean, sorry. The Chargers defeated the Eagles 27-24. Cardinals beat the 49ers without D-Hop and Kyler Murray 31-17. That's embarrassing if you're the 49ers. Um, the Chiefs defeat the Aaron Rodgers Packers 13-7. Titans upset the Rams Sunday Night Football 28-16. And the Steelers pull it out against the Chicago Bears 29 to 27. This was a rough week for both of us. I went seven and six. Ethan went six and seven. Really the the difference maker was that uh Bears and Steelers game. Alright, so Ethan, what were your top three takeaways from this past week of action? Top three takeaways are um it's it's gonna it's a rough season. And it's one of these things where it's like it's definitely one of those seasons, in my opinion, where it's like some ebb and flow. Like to me, it's no clear cut, definitive, like dominant team, in my opinion. Like yes, the Cardinals are they have one of the better records, but I feel like in any given on any given week, a team could potentially beat them. The Cowboys, they got blanketed by the Broncos and I think the Broncos showed the formula to how to defend their offense and if that's the case and the teams look at their scheme that they implement it and they use it throughout the remainder of the season, how are they going to adjust to that? Um, you know, number two, you gotta you gotta love the monster, the new monsters of the NFL. Los Angeles Rams, they just recently acquired OBJ. And this is this is an incredibly talented team. Yes, we know that incredibly talented teams don't always pay well on, on, on the field. 
field. But I think given the fact that you have a quarterback as dynamic as Matthew Stafford and you just account for the Robert Woods torn ACL that just happened today, apparently, I think that OBJ will fit in just fine. And number number one, man, the the Green Bay Packers, they have dropped the ball on numerous of occasions throughout the course of this season. One of them being Aaron Rodgers and his vaccination status. That has been a major topic throughout the course of these this past week. And then to basically not sign Odell when there's been a lot of uncertainty around Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers staying in Green Bay. I think a thing that you could have done to help make that decision a lot more easier is sign another receiver. Aaron Rodgers has numerously stated that he wants more help on the offensive side of the ball. And why not go after a splash play guy like Odell? I hear you on that. Um, We'll definitely get more into the Odell conversation. Um, Of course, as always, you can find my takeaways at thexreport.net. But, yeah, I definitely am agreeing with you about the Packers. I think they did drop the ball. But, I mean, you and I talked about I think probably a reason why Odell didn't choose to go is just because there's so much uncertainty going on there with regards to the future. Yes, he did sign this a one-year deal with the Rams, so there's no guarantee he's going to stay there past this year. But I'm sure that definitely played a role in his decision not to go to Green Bay. But all right, let's go ahead and look at some of the biggest injury news of the week. Starting with the Baltimore Ravens losing starting safety to Sean Elliott for the rest of the season with the torn pec. Panthers lose center Matt Paradis for the year with the torn ACL. Uh, Cardinals running back Chase Edmonds is out with a high ankle sprain for the next several weeks. And quarterback Sam Donald is out for the next several weeks with a fractured uh, scapula. Now the question became, what do the Panthers do at quarterback, well, they brought back a familiar face and re-signed Cam Newton, an all-time great. One could definitely say their greatest um, quarterback in franchise history and definitely has a case to be one of their best players in uh, franchise history. After being signed, um, during his 30-minute press conference, he said, you know why I'm here. This isn't for a ploy, ticket sales, or no Cinderella story. I'm here to win football games. This ain't no parade. Let's get to work. Keep pounding. So, Ethan, let's talk about this signing. Do we like it? Do we not like it? How far do we think that the Panthers can go with Cam Newton under center? I'm in this weird flux of I like it simply because of the nostalgia piece that's attached to it, like, I think that Sam, Cam Newton could potentially be a better piece than um, Sam Darnold was at quarterback, but I don't think he's going to be that much better. Like, we've seen Cam Newton on numerous of occasions, and he hasn't looked like a very competent starting football player. But I also know that he he has always loved Carolina, so maybe it could be one of those situations where he gets brought back into the locker room and he gets rejuvenated by the guys in their locker room, and he has a career resurgence. As far as I think they can go, I mean, it's tough when you're in a division with the Saints, even though like they don't have James, but they still have a really good defense and the Bucks. So I still, to an extent, do not see them making the playoffs. If they were to eke, it, eke out a playoff spot, I can only see them going as far as the wild card game. Fair enough. So with the Cam Newton sign, it really comes down to which Cam Newton are we getting? 
Um, I think that if we get Cam Newton from New England, it's not going to work out well. One could even say that once Sam Darnold gets healthy, he may end up getting benched in favor of Sam just because Cam Newton in New England was rough. And, of course, you definitely have the argument of not really having any weapons, which he won't have that problem in Carolina because they are loaded with regards to, of course, CMC, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Terrace Marshall. They have a lot of people that they can get the ball out to. But most of the guys I mentioned are deep threats, and we know Cam Newton has struggled to throw the ball deep for years now not just from last season but on the other hand if you can get I'm not even going to say 2015 Cam Newton because that's not fair but if you could get something from him let's say a percentage of that maybe 60 percent of that this is a team that can really make the wild card just because excluding quarterback and offensive line they have a really good roster constructed around them great receivers great running back their defense is really nice it's just quarterback continues to hold them back so it really just depends which cam newton are they going to get and if Cam Newton can kind of assimilate himself to the new system, I mean, while he was his whole entire tenure there, he was with Ron Rivera. It's a whole different ball game with uh, Matt Rule there. But overall, I'm interested to see how it works out. Like you mentioned, it's great for nostalgia, but in terms of actually winning games, I'm not 150% sold. But I mean, I think that we can both agree that no matter what, they're still going to add a quarterback this offseason. All right, so let's go ahead and look at our most impressive, disappointing, and rookie of the week from week nine. Starting with my most impressive player, I'm going to say Jeffrey Simmons. I know he's the guy that you have been championing for for years now, and I think that he really showed why he is one of those up-and-coming defensive linemen. On Sunday night, had three sacks, really wreaked havoc against the Rams, even when they tried to double-team him. They just could not do much with him. I mean, it's not often that another interior lineman can overshadow Aaron Donald, but Jeffrey Simmons definitely did that and played a big role in this win. For me, I'm actually going to say the Titans front four as a group because, yes, Jeffrey Simmons had the most dynamic of games, and, yes, I wore my Jeffrey Simmons jersey on Monday after said game, but a lot of people fail to realize that before Jeffrey Simmons got going, Nico Autry was wreaking havoc on the um, offensive line of the Rams, so I got to go with the unit, and but I'm going, I got to say my boy Big Joseph a little, but I got to go with the whole entire unit versus just by like one player. Most deaf. All right, moving on to who I was most disappointed in. I'm going with the other Josh Allen, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Looked terrible against the Jags. I mean, through two crucial picks, a lost fumble. It was just an ugly day across the board. And, of course, you know, any given Sunday, I mean, any team can be beat any day. But the fact that he played that bad really hurt his uh, MVP stock. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you with Josh Allen simply because when you you face the Jacksonville Jaguars and you I can I went like I was ultimately surprised that they lost, but I was even more surprised that they lost and they only put up six points. Right. Because the Bills have an explosive offense. Like I can understand, you know, if it's that one rare occasion where the stars align and t- uh, Trevor Lawrence has an amazing game. He just simply outdoes Josh Allen. But to to see you not put up produce points and you've been a dynamic offense for the past couple of seasons, I gotta throw him I gotta throw him under my most um disappointing list. 
All right, and then my rookie of the week, this is a first-time pick. I'm going Elijah Moore, wide receiver for the New York Jets. I mean, he was somebody, I remember us having a discussion about it. I had a lot of hype going in as potentially a offensive rookie of the year candidate. We really have not seen that yet, but Thursday night was a great start. Had seven catches, 84 yards, two touchdowns. Really took over that game, even in that loss, but he definitely was a bright spot for that offense. Yeah, I'm definitely in agreement with you with Elijah Moore for everything that you stated. And simply because I think that the Jets went into this season with a lot with some good expectations from their wide receiving core. They brought in Corey Davis with a big contract and in my opinion he's underperformed. And you had Elijah Moore there with great expectations and now I think that this game might jumpstart the um career that a lot of people assume that he was gonna have in New York. I could definitely see that. I think back-to-back great offensive uh, weeks for the Jets, especially our rookies. Michael Carter had a great game last week. This week it was uh, Elijah Moore, so I'm excited to see the growth of those guys. All right, let's go ahead and move on to league moves. We're going to start off on a positive note with the Cleveland Browns uh, re-signing their interior lineman. First uh, star offensive lineman, Wyatt Teller, uh, re-signed to a four-year $56.8 million extension. Uh, moving on, uh, they also agreed to re-sign Joel Bettino, another offensive lineman, to a three-year, $48 million deal. Congratulations to them and the Browns for keeping their interior line together. Now, let's talk about the Raiders, who seemingly cannot keep things together at all. This uh, Earlier this week, they released former first-round draft pick cornerback Damon Arnett after a video surfaced of him threatening someone and showing guns in the video. Um, Arnett is also facing multiple lawsuits following the alleged gun threats. It's looking rough. And also, it looks even worse when you factor in the fact that he and uh, Henry Ruggs were both a part of the same 2020 draft class. Hugs, I mean, Ruggs was drafted 11th overall, while Damon Arnett was drafted 19th overall. And you're, I, I know that a lot of the issues so far have come with the players in mind, but do you think that at some point the front office is going to have to suffer because of this and their GM, Mike Mayock, is going to end up getting fired? I think so, simply because you've had a lot of um, bad character situations pop up. Basically, in consecutive weeks, it seems like almost. You had the whole John Gruden situation with him, with his emails being released. Then you had Henry Ruggs driving 156 miles an hour and um, killing someone. And now you have this situation. And it's one of those things where it's like, um, I understand professional athletes, their character issues tend to get kind of overlooked in certain aspects. But these this is too many, these are too many instances where you've had character flaws on the same team. Like, I can understand if, you know, you had the John Gruden thing, and that was the big scandal and big thing attached to the Raiders for this season, and then that was it. But now you have, you had Henry Ruggs, who a lot of people assume was going to become a star in um, Las Vegas. He He's done what he's done, and now you have these other um, first round picking the same draft, show people guns and threaten to kill them. Like, I feel like it's going to be a thing of like, not only, like, not only are you being questioned with your um football um talent evaluation, but are you how's your character t- uh, evaluation? 
because at the, re- at the reality of it is that the NFL is a brand, and we all know that they they're one of the biggest organizations that loves to protect their brand. So I think you're right. Where maybe maybe in the off season. It might be some things that come out where he gets fired or maybe in the following season after. Yeah, and the thing is I like Mike Mayock a lot, especially from, like, his years of working with NFL Network. Like, he clearly is a very smart football mind. But like you mentioned, I mean, character issues are going to hold anybody back. And like you mentioned, the NFL is a brand, and they are not going to let anybody sink their ship. And the Raiders have had back-to-back-to-back issues of character issues, and I think in the end it – of course, it's player responsibility, but also you have to take accountability into the people that you're bringing in. And then you want to factor in over the last few years that, honestly, the uh, trades and the draft picks that the Raiders have made over the years have not been that good. I mean, Alex Leatherwood was a questionable decision this year. Damon Arnett, when he was taken, was surprising because he wasn't even the best corner at that position, and we're seeing other players outshine him. Henry Ruggs, the same thing. And, of course, the Cleo Mack trade. So, overall, the judgment – for the Raiders front office has been a bit questionable. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how it all plays out, but I do think it could cost people jobs. But they did sign Deshaun Jackson, did get some reinforcements at wide receiver. So we'll see how that goes. But all right, speaking of wide receivers, we got to talk about the big fish. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. signing with the Los Angeles Rams and Call it divine timing or just a coincidence, but it seems like his signing could not be more timely after, like you mentioned earlier, wide receiver Robert Woods tore his ACL at practice on Friday, now putting Odell in even more of a better situation, but prayers of, of course, to Robert Woods for his injury. Talk to me, what are your thoughts on this signing? What do you like about it? How do you think it's going to play out? Just what are your thoughts? My thoughts are I think it's a tremendous signing simply because you have a quarterback in Matthew Stafford who he's going to get you the ball if you're open. Yes, he has a really great rapport with Cooper Cup, but Robert Woods was getting his also. And I think that he's also a quarterback that that still has the arm talent to get the ball downfield. That's something that I feel like Baker Mayfield lacked in Cleveland. He really... He really wasn't a big, deep-shot guy. He kind of was more of an intermediate, um, gets things set up off the play action. Matthew Stafford's a guy, you can just throw him back there, have an empty backfield, and he'll just think the pig's getting around the yard. He can win you a game. And I also think he's good from the standpoint of it's, it's show, it can show their locker room that the front office has all the faith in them to make splash plays, to put – essentially all the marbles in and say like hey we're trying to win I agree with you 100% I think that also what has to be mentioned is just it's a completely different scheme from what the uh, Rams do and what the Browns do which means it's going to open up a lot of targets and like you mentioned Matthew Stafford is a very different quarterback from Baker Mayfield in the sense of he's going to take chances Um, in LA they love the deep ball and Odell is one of the best deep ball threats in the league and I'm very excited to see how it's going to shape up with them Um, I think that I don't think there's a team in the league and you may agree with me that is in more of a win now mode the Rams are one of those teams like we don't care about draft picks we don't care about rookies that 
We are trying to bring in the best talent that we can bring in because we want to win a ring. And I think that with the roster that they have now, they definitely have an opportunity to do so. I mean, everybody knows. I've been saying free Odell for over a year now. I've been a Lions apologist because I love me some Matthew Stafford. And, I mean, Von Miller is my guy, too. Aaron Donald is a beast. Like, they have so much talent on this roster that even if it's not this year, I think that if they're able to keep those core guys together, they can do some amazing things with this roster. And I think that signing Odell definitely um, inspires some confidence. I'm very excited to see him suit up with the Rams for the first time and really ball out because I think that this is a great opportunity for him, not just in terms of yardage, but also to really play for a winner. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our mid-season favorite team reviews. Um, starting off on a positive note, team MVP. Who Who is your team MVP this season so far? In my personal opinion, the team MVP is the man that isn't currently playing on the team due to injury. It is Derrick Henry. And when he was healthy and playing, this man was doing the things that he's always done. He was the focal point of the offense. He was leading the charge, and um, he's definitely going to be missed. Most of. Um, yeah, I would agree with you for everything you just said for Titus. For me, I'm going to say Lamar Jackson. Last night, notwithstanding, even though it's not all totally his fault, but, I mean, Lamar has just – if you ask me, I think that he's having a more complete season than his MVP season. He's a much better passer of the ball. He's reading the field much more. Definitely has more talent in his wide receiver group. Um, that I think gets kind of lost in the shuffle a bit. But Lamar has really been having a tremendous year. All right, strength and weaknesses. What you got? Um, I will say strength, in my personal opinion, is on offense we. We do have playmakers. We have Julio Jones, who is showing that he's starting. I feel like he's starting to round out the form. He had a couple big, couple good plays with, against the Rams. We have AJ Brown, um, Ryan Tannehill. He, even though he hasn't put up the numbers, well, I'm not gonna say he hasn't put up the numbers. His interception numbers have been kind of up there, especially compared to last season. I still think that he's a very capable quarterback. Another strength, in my personal opinion, is our front four on the defensive line. We have Jeffrey Simmons, Danico Audrey, uh, Tyree Tart, and um, we have a couple guys that we rotate around. And I think these guys are starting to come together and make and wreak havoc. Like you said, in that Rams game, Big Jeff had three sacks in the first half. Danico Audrey had a sack. Um, I know he's an outside linebacker, but he's primarily a rusher. Harold Landry, he's, I think he's tied in the NFL for the league with sack. Having the best year so, of his uh, career so far. Yeah, so I think, like, you know, and that's the strength because, in my personal opinion, outside of our, like, front, front four, the rest of our defense is average to below average at best outside of Kevin Bayard. All right, weaknesses. Weaknesses, in my personal opinion, outside of Kevin Bayard is our secondary. It has been, it's been too many instances, in my opinion, where it's easy for guys just to sling the ball around and pick up huge chunks of yards and march down the field against our secondary. I feel you. All right, so for us, I will say our biggest strength so far is next man up. I mean, coming to the season, very few teams, if any, were ravaged by injuries more than Baltimore. J.K. Dobbins is out. 
uh, Gus Edwards is out. Marcus Peters is out. Ronnie Stanley is out. Like, we have had injuries every freaking where. And what I will say is the NFL is the next man up league. And the, and the Ravens have done a nice job of, yes, we have had these injuries. Yes, we have had these problems. But we're still a 6-3 and nine, I mean six and three team. We still are a playoff team. And I can respect that. That goes from coaching to player development to just everybody carrying their weight. And so that has been something I can say I'm very proud of. Because coming into this season, I was a bit worried. I mean, yes, you can say that running backs are replaceable. But, I mean, losing a player like Marcus Peters, who in my opinion is definitely a top 10 cornerback, that's a big blow. And while our secondary has had some problems, I'll get to a player who I feel like has kind of helped cushion that blow a bit. But I'm very proud of how Baltimore has been able to handle adversity with regards to injuries. But our weakness is our offensive freaking line. Alejandro Villanueva (laughs) is garbage. He's – let me not – let me take that back. He is not – Especially after this last game. I'm I'm heated. But our offensive line is it's it's rough. Like the thing is, Lamar in the past, I will give him his credit because past Lamar, he sees some pressure. He just gonna run for his life. And but this season he's doing a better job of trying to stay in the pocket, drop back, wait for his receivers to get open. That's all fine and dandy, but his offensive line is a piece of crap. And so every five seconds he's getting hit. And it's like Kevin Seidler hasn't been terrible. But other than that, the offensive line has been a freaking joke. And it's making me really regret. No, well, actually, no, I almost lied. I almost said I regretted trading Orlando Brown. But then again, I don't because then we wouldn't have got a Dafe. So I take that back. But I feel like we definitely should have hit offensive line more this um, this past offseason because this is it's a it's very frustrating to watch. As like I said, watching that Dolphins game. I almost flipped out several times just because this man had no time to freaking throw. But, all right, who would you say is your top rookie so far? Top rookie? Uh, it hasn't been that many rookie producers this year, honestly. Yeah. As far as the Titans, I would have to say Caleb Farley because I feel like he's really the only rookie that's kind of made some impact when he's on the field. The thing, no. He's out for Actually, a year. No. This is weird. no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I meant to say Elijah Moden, the oh. other cornerback. Yeah, from Washington. Yeah, when he's on the field, he's actually made a pretty decent impact. And he's had a couple of different, like, I guess I would say nagging injuries that some weeks has held him out of the lineup. But when he's in, he's been one of our better cover corners. I feel you on that. All right, let's go ahead and move on to – Oh, yeah, wait, my bad. My top rookie is Odafe Owe. That's why I took back what I was going to say about Orlando Brown, mainly just because, I mean, Odafe's been balling. I think he's, I think I saw the stat, he's like tied for third among rookies with four sacks. I mean, he was a guy who I'll be the first to say, like when we drafted him, I had a lot of questions. I wasn't sold, but the way that he's been used in Baltimore's defense has been a really, um, it's really helped to extenuate his strengths, particularly that Chiefs game. I mean, that made me a believer. He's been my homie after that, so I'm really proud of him. All right, which player would you say has been the biggest surprise so far? Um, For me, I would say linebacker David Long. He's a guy that, he's one, he's an undersized linebacker. He's like 225 pounds. But it's like whenever he's in the game, you always see him 
He's flying around the ball. He's making a big hit. And he isn't a full-fledged starter because we have a rotation of linebackers that we throw out. But it's like when he's in the game, he's making an impact. All right, for me, I'm going to say Anthony Averitt, corner. Uh, like I mentioned, losing Marcus Peters was a major blow, but Anthony Averitt has really stepped up this year. I want to say he's still one of the top five uh, corners in terms of, like, coverage grades. I mean, he's not somebody you're going to get crazy amount of yards on. And I know that, especially in the year where Marlon Humphrey has had some of his struggles, um, Anthony Averitt has really stepped up and been leading the charge for this second unit of uh, cornerbacks because, honestly, Outside of Jimmy Smith, I wasn't sure who was going to be able to do it, but Anthony Averett has done a really solid job, and I'm very happy to have him, um, especially not having a guy like Marcus Peters. But all right, last one. Bold prediction for the rest of the season. Bold prediction for me is we're going to finish the rest of the season with a above – with the remaining guys that on our schedule – we're going to be above 500 in those games, even without Derrick Henry. I can see that. All right, my bold prediction is this is Greg Roman's last season as the Ravens' offensive coordinator. If you have any questions as to why I said that, watch the freaking Dolphins game. Why are we calling 10 different screens and none of them work? It was just the play calling was atrocious. That third and five where we call it the freaking – the toss to Devontae Freeman. He's not even our fastest receiver. It was a lot going on. And we, Baltimore and, like, the fan base has had a lot of issues with Greg Roman's play calls for years. But I think that, especially in a game like this past game, it really just showed that poor play calling cost us a very winnable game. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to a game of believable or buffoonery. And we're going to start off with NFL legend Joe Montana, who had some very interesting comments about the 49ers' decision uh, to draft Trey Lance. He said, if I was the 49ers, I would have taken the kid from Alabama last year, meaning he would have taken Mac Jones over Trey Lance with the third overall pick. Believable or buffoonery, the 49ers are regretting not drafting Mac Jones. I think it's very much so believable simply because out of the rookie quarterbacks in this class, Mac Jones has shown Mac Jones has shown that he's the best one. Like Justin Fields, yes, he's shown flashes, but he isn't he hasn't really been consistent. Mac Jones has been consistent and yes they tra- they drafted um Trey Lance, but it's like when he's on the field, he hasn't really produced and they kind of They've kind of, in my opinion, put themselves in a bad spot because they kind of, they basically have two incompetent quarterbacks. And it's like when you're a team, when they're healthy, when you're a team like that, and you kind of have like outside looking in Super Bowl hopes, you kind of have to have a better quarterback talent than the two that they have on their roster. I think that the thing about Trey Lance, I do agree. Um, I do think they probably wish they would take Mac Jones's. Trey Lance is very raw. Coming in, everybody knew he would be like, 
he will be a work in progress as opposed to a guy like a Mac Jones who could come in immediately and start. And I think a reason why he didn't get taken so early is because he's not the flashiest, he's not the sexiest, and honestly, he's not that with the Patriots. But he's helping the Patriots win because he's a perfect fit for the Patriots system and what they like to do. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I do think that they do regret not taking Mac Jones because he – I don't think it's really been a conversation that he's been the best rookie quarterback. But then again, I mean, this hasn't been a great rookie quarterback class. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Speaking of quarterbacks, um, it was reported earlier this week that the Saints were trying to trade for Broncos starting quarterback Teddy Bridgewater ahead of the NFL trade deadline. Believable or buffoonery, the Saints made a mistake not trading for Teddy Bridgewater. I think they did simply because... What you get in Teddy Bridgewater is he's a guy that he doesn't he doesn't drastically drop your floor. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like if you have Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, he's not gonna drastically change and be a dynamic game changing quarterback, but he's gonna be a guy that you can win with simply because he's gonna make winning plays. He's not gonna put up outstanding numbers. But he's going to be efficient. He's going. He's not going to throw interceptions. He's basically our new age version of Adam Smith, in my opinion. So I definitely think that they were great, simply, especially given the fact that he already has some um some um connection to the Saints in the previous year. I actually really like that comparison between him and Alex Smith. I do see a lot of that. And like you mentioned, with his former time with the Saints, he did look pretty good and really could have got an opportunity to stay there if he really decided to sit another year behind uh, Drew Brees. So, no, I'm in agreement with you. I do think that they should have signed him, especially with Jameis out. Um, Trevor Simeon hasn't been terrible, but I do think that getting somebody like uh, Teddy Bridgewater, who's like a step above, could have really helped increase their chances um, for that wild card. All right, let's go ahead. Continuing on, we just mentioned the Patriots. Well, the Patriots have been looking pretty good in the last few weeks, so much so that ESPN's Ryan Clark said, the Patriots can mess around and win the Super Bowl. Believable or buffoonery, the Patriots should be viewed as Super Bowl contenders. I'm calling buffoonery, but I do see them as a playoff team. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery. I think a lot of people fall in love with this whole narrative of, like, they still have Bill Belichick as a coach. They've been successful. Mac Jones has looked good at quarterback. But it's a lot of teams that are in position as Super Bowl contenders that are far more talented and just a bigger threat overall. Yeah, I like like you mentioned, I mean, they have been doing a pretty solid job. They haven't been winning pretty it's been ugly they're not exactly just running over people offensively like excluding the jets but yeah no i think that um yeah i'm calling buffoonery but they have looked good uh moving back on to the raiders john gruden is fighting for his career or at least saving his name um it was announced earlier this week that the ex raiders coach is suing the nfl and roger goodell in nevada district court he's alleging they sought to destroy gruden's career and reputation through a and i quote malicious and orchestrated campaign to that led to his forced resignation last month believable or buffoonery john gruden has legitimate case against the nfl um, I'm going to say buffoonery simply because we, we don't know. Like, we don't know the particulars of the information that's been given. We don't know the particulars of the research that John Gruden and his team of lawyers have put into trying to back this claim. So, if it, for me, if it's a sense of being 
in the unknown, I have to say buffoonery. I'm going to say buffoonery too. While I think it is not saying what he said was right, because it wasn't, but you're pulling up emails from like 10 years ago. I I think that is, it's a, it's interesting to say the least, because on the one hand, yes, he did say it and he shouldn't have said it. But on the other hand, it's like, why were you guys looking at emails 10, from 10 years ago? It's a when bit, I wasn't an actual employee of the NFL. Yeah, so like it, I'm 50 50 on it. I'm gonna say buffoonery just because I feel like in the end, it, it he did say those things, and you can't say stuff like that, especially in his position. But it, it is interesting. He, I think he does have a bit of a case. Um, oh yeah, so this is just breaking news Julio Jones is now on injured reserve, he'll miss, miss at least the next three weeks. Do it to a hamstring injury. So you know what that means. It's AJ Brown time and ten of freaking C. What are your thoughts on A on Julio being out the next three weeks at least? Being honest, when we signed Julio, I was in, I was incredibly excited for the potential dynamic that he brought to our offense. But it was also a part of me that was really on the realistic side and thinking like, bro, Julio hasn't been healthy for a long time and I don't think that that trend is going to continue in Tennessee I mean I thought that that trend was going to continue in Tennessee and it has so I'm not like yes I I wish he would be on the field and he would be capable of playing but it's one of those things where it's like hey if he can sit out and we make a push and we still continue to win a couple games and we get a fully healthy Julio Jones comes back by the time the playoffs start. I'll take it. Fair. I mean, I just think that if Derrick Henry was playing, I think that the blow would be a lot less. But oh, yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, like, it was – was that – I don't really think there was any game besides, like, the Bills game where all three were clicking at the same time. It was always something was not going right. Um, But, I mean, yeah, it's just A.J. Brown time, really time for him to show what he can do. All right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for week 10, starting off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Washington football team, a rematch of the wild card round, and I think he's going to have the same results. I got Bucks. Yeah, I got Bucks. Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Detroit Lions. As much as I would love to see the Lions beat the Steelers, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I got Pittsburgh. Tennessee Titans versus the New Orleans Saints. I think that this could is definitely going to be a defensive game, but in the end, I'm going Titans. I got Tennessee. Uh, Dallas Cowboys versus the Atlanta Falcons. I got Cowboys. I got Cowboys. New England Patriots versus the Cleveland Browns. This is another one that I think is going to come down to the wire. But without Nick Chubb, I got a hard time picking this offense. I got Patriots. I got Pat. Uh, Buffalo Bills versus the New York Jets. I'm going Bills. Indianapolis Colts taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm sure the Jags are feeling themselves, but I'm still going Colts because I don't see anybody stopping Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I got Colts as well. Minnesota Vikings versus the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm going Vikings in a bit of an upset. I'm going Chargers. Um, Carolina Panthers versus the Arizona Cardinals. Truthfully, I don't know if Cam is playing or not, but either way, I'm still picking the Cardinals. Yeah, I'm picking Cards as well. Philadelphia Eagles taking on the Denver Broncos. I'm actually going to go Eagles. I'm going 
Broncos. Seattle Seahawks versus the uh, Green Bay Packers, a game where both starting quarterbacks return. This may be a bit surprising, but I'm going to go Seahawks. Uh, I think I'm going to agree with agree with you. I'm going to Seattle. All right, Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Las Vegas Raiders Sunday night football. I'm going Chiefs. I'm going Chiefs as well. All right, Monday night football, the Los Angeles Rams versus the San Francisco 49ers. I got Rams. I have Rams and they blow it up. It should be a blowout. Um, all right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, rookie, and team we are calling out this week. Offensively, I'm watching Russell Wilson. First game back in a few weeks. I think that um, if you didn't notice the games when he did not play, it was a major difference in this offense. Geno Smith, you did the best that you could, but I think that everybody just saw how terrible their offensive line was. I'm hoping that they play a bit better in Russ's return. Uh, how about you? What offensive player are you watching? For me, I'm going to be watching Odell Beckham Jr. simply because this is his first game with the Los Angeles Rams. Luckily, he's going up against a team that doesn't have a really a decent secondary in the 49ers, so maybe he's going to get some um, he's going to get some free plays where he can get open and kind of get his confidence going with this new team. I feel you on that. Uh, for me, um. I'm going to go def- – I'm sorry, defensively, I'm watching Stephon Gilmore. I think that this is going to be a huge game of considering if D-Hop plays. We all know that DeAndre Hopkins makes all the difference in the world on that team, and we've seen some good matchups between Gilmore and Hopkins. Um, so if he plays, I think that the performance of Stephon Gilmore is going to play a really big role if the Panthers can pull off an upset. Uh, for me, I'm defensively, I'm going to say Max Crosby. Um. I know I picked the Chiefs to win, but if the Chiefs, if the Raiders have any chance of winning this game against the Chiefs, they're going to have to get to Patrick Mahomes. And Max Crosby, he's had a decent season this year. So if he's able to make plays, their chance, in my opinion, their chances of getting a W goes up drastically. All right. Uh, my rookie I'm watching is Trevor Lawrence. I know he's the first overall pick, but my eyes really haven't been on him much this season, but they will be on Sunday. Like I mentioned, I'm sure the Jags are feeling themselves beat one of the best teams in the AFC in the Buffalo Bills, but now it's time to beat a divisional opponent, and I think that that will go a big way, but that only happens if Trevor Lawrence can have a really good performance. Yeah, I'm also, my eyes are also on Trevor Lawrence. He he hasn't looked that great this season. I think he can the secondary of Indianapolis isn't that great, but they have a pretty decent defensive front, so I think he'll be able to get a couple good looks at targets and make a couple plays. Most definitely. And the team I'm calling out is the Los Angeles Rams. You guys suffered a bad loss uh, Sunday night football. You got to be able to bounce back, especially because you got my main man, Odell. You cannot lose to the 49ers right now, who, in my opinion, are looking like one of the worst teams in the NFC. The team I'm calling out is the Buffalo Bills. You guys lost to the Jaguars and you put up six points. And you have a quarterback that was in discussion for MVP. Um, Yeah, you guys have to bounce back. Most def. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this past week of action? Top three takeaways are number, number Trace is Stephen Curry has... I, I hate to say it, and I might get some flat with what I'm about to say, 
Stephen Curry might be the best player in the NBA right now. Like, I know that we have KD, and KD's been amazing. We have Giannis, and he's been amazing. But the things that Steph has been doing for the Warriors, no one else in this league is no one else in this league has done or is currently doing in the NBA. Um, number two, uh, apparently everybody in the NBA won't smoke now. You know, we had the situation with Nikola Jokic and Marquise Morris, and then I think maybe two nights after that, we had the situation with Miles Turner and um, Rudy Gobert. And Rudy Gobert, and I love it. I'm all for hey, throw hands, get into some scrums, get into a couple of tussles. So I love every minute of it. And number um number one, uh wow, he threw that right to him. I'm sorry. But um number one is this is um these rule changes are really affecting the star players of the NBA. I thought it was going to be a, you know, just a quick trend and they were kind of going to bounce back after a couple games. But it's like James Harden hasn't looked the same. Trey Young hasn't been looking the same. Damian Lillard, of all people, hasn't really been looking the same. So I think that it's going to be a great thing to see throughout the course of this season how these players keep adjusting to these new rules. Likewise. But I think it makes the game better. I think that there has been so much – I think the NBA has just gotten so com- comfortable with those uh, foul rules and everything like that that like it's kind of been a crutch for some players. And so now it's forcing people to kind of evolve their games and try to do things differently. And I think it makes it a lot more enjoyable. So I feel you on that. But all right, let's go with our Mamba Players of the Week. My Eastern player may be a bit of a shock, but I'm going Tyrese Maxey, guard for the Philadelphia 76ers. The drama with Ben Simmons does not seem like it's going to end anytime soon. However, the 76ers aren't really crying about it because performances like Tyrese Maxey this past week, he's really begun to take over back-to-back 30-plus point games, really just showcasing his ability and being such a well-known scorer. And I think that that's really what shows what a mom is, being able to help take over a game um, when your team needs it the most. Yeah, and I, for a lot of people don't realize he did he did all of this with Joel and B being out with COVID. Right. So he stepped up drastically. But um, for me, I'm probably going to go with a very familiar name. I'm going with Kevin Durant Fair. of the Brooklyn Nets. Like, I don't know if you saw his stat line against the Magic this past week. But this man had 30 points and only missed, like, two shots. Pretty disrespectful. Yeah, like, he shot, like, 93% from the field. So, I have to go with that simply because it's, like, who can top a performance like that? Granted, it didn't didn't garner the attention throughout the um, NBA media because it's, like, it's KD. What do you expect? He's efficient. But it's, like, bro, you literally only missed two shots and scored 30. How many times do you see that in the NFL, even with amazing talent such as KD and, you know, still? So I got to go KD. I can respect that. A performance that I would say probably did top that comes from my Western Mamba, the player you believe is the best in the league right now. And, I mean, he has a strong case for Steph Curry. I mean – 
just balled out. Candace Parker pretty much said it best. It was she called Steph's fifty point game, saying when you go against a protege, you gotta show him what's up. And he absolutely did that. Dropped fifty against the Hawks. I mean, just really been on the tear. Dropped forty last night against the Bulls. Steph Curry is just looking like a man on a mission, and it's been very exciting to watch. So he's easily my Western Mamba. And I'm also in agreement with you. My worst of number is Stephen Curry. And I think the thing that about it is, like, people people don't understand that this isn't the same Warriors team that they had last year where Steph was going berserk and they were barely skating by winning games. Like, the scary thing about this team is, like, Steph is doing this, but he also has help outside of Clay Thompson and Draymond. Like, Jordan Poole has been a really um, fantastic piece for them. Otto Porter has been a good role player. Gary Payton, Un- the second yeah, in the playoff. Yeah, Gary Payton. Andre Iguodala is looking like the Iguodala of old in a sense. And it's like, bro, he's just scary. Just the thing. Like, once they add um, Clay back and if Clay's like, Say Clay's eighty percent of the player that he was in the past, and you pair that up with everything that they have, they might actually be one of the favorites out of the West. They are definitely looking like it. All right, and in my rookie Mamba of the week, I'm going with Evan Mobley. Um, I want to say this is my second time picking him. Really, just been balling out. I mean, like. We mentioned we had a lot of questions about how things were going to work out in Cleveland. Well, at the very least, Evan Mobley has really been working out. He's gotten a lot of praise from NBA vets so far. I'm excited to see where his career takes him. Yeah, for me, it's Evan Mobley also. He's been, in my opinion, he's probably been the most consistent rookie this whole season. I would agree with that. I would say between him and then Scotty Barnes, those two have been the main ones who've been balling out. But all right. Before we get to everybody wanting to smoke, it seems like the Mavs are trying to get rid of some. Um, we talked about earlier this offseason about potential plans to trade Christoph Persingas. It did not happen, but it looks like the Mavs are still on a mission trying to move him. So, Ethan, in, my, in your opinion, let's say Christoph Persingas is like officially made available for trade. Who should be on the phone? Um... This is tough because I don't really see any other team that could use them. Like, I would say maybe, if anything, I would say the Sacramento Kings because they they have Rashawn Holmes. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he's a really good piece, but you with the offense that's centered around guards, Sometimes you might not want to clog the paint with a guy that's a roller and a um a lob threat, and you might want to have somebody to step out and shoot. And I feel like if you were to add Kristaps and you run a pick and roll, stands pick and pop with him and De'Aaron Fox, it could potentially be deadly. But that's like the only team that I can think of. I'm going to go with the bit of a surprise, and I'm going to say the Boston Celtics. I think that this isn't a season that the Celtics have necessarily envisioned. And then with Jalen Brown going down, it's also going to force other people to step up. And I think that, especially with bigs, they've definitely had questions and issues there for a long time now. While I'm not saying that Kristaps is like a long-term solution there, I think that you'd still have to work towards the issue. I do think it does provide another at least solid offensive 
uh, weapon there. And I think that it'd be something that they could probably do and not have to give up too much to make it happen. Overall, it just gives the opportunity to get the ball out of um, Jason Tatum's hands, especially because, like I said, everybody knows he's going to get the ball with Jalen Brown out most of the time. So gives him an offensive weapon in the post. But, all right, speaking of the post, a couple of post players got into it. Of course, I'm talking about Nikola Jokic and Marquise Morris. I mean, we've all seen the video, and there have been very different uh, perspectives on it. Um, some viewers and fans think that uh, Nikola Jokic wasn't wrong, including Shaq, who said, I have no problem with what Joker did. I actually like it as a big guy. When you hit me, don't turn your head because it's coming. Of course, the brothers had to chime in, of course, the Morris and the Jokic brothers. Um, Marcus Morris took to Twitter to say, waited till my bro turned his back, shaking my head, noted. And then the Jokic brothers, made famous, of course, from this last playoff run, uh, tweeted at Marcus Morris and said, you should leave this the way it is instead of publicly threatening our brother. Your brother made a dirty play first. If you want to make a step further, uh, be sure we will be waiting for you. Jokic brothers exclamation point, exclamation point. And apparently, I don't know how true this is or not, but the Jokic brothers apparently did get tickets for the next game between the Nuggets and the Heat, which I believe is taking place sometime next month. So let's say this was the WrestleMania main event. You got the Jokic brothers versus the Morris brothers. Who are you picking to win that fight? Easy, Jokic brothers. Like, I understand that the Morris twins, they're tough guys. They're from Philly. They've been in a couple of scraps, but the Jokic brothers are both like, I think they're both like seven feet tall or somewhere in the range of like 16, 6, 11. And they look like, if you haven't seen them, they look like um, Dolph Lundgren in Rocky. Like, they look like the bad guys in action movies. And I'm sorry, but these guys are from Serbia and it's a, it's a war-torn country. That's a different type of um, a different type of smoke when you near from when you from a place like this. Yeah, I'm on your side on this. I'm also picking the Jokic brothers, especially because the Jokic brothers really don't got anything to lose. Because I remember um, when the stuff happened with the Suns, you remember that post? It was like yeah. the Jokic brothers are like uh, Nicole is the one who got out the hood, and the other ones like stay gangster. Like they don't have anything to lose. The Morris brothers. They have a reputation there in the NBA. They don't want to risk their careers, but the Jokic brothers, they don't care. And like you mentioned, Serbia is a wartime country. I believe at least one of them has served, like, in the military. Like, they, they're they about that life. And so and – I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and people forget that Nikola Jokic's dad is, like, a 7-foot, 300-pound, like, police chief in Serbia. So – yeah, I'm I'm going with the Jokic brothers. It'd be interesting though, but I'm going Jokic brothers. All right, let's play a game of believable or buffoonery, and we gotta start off with Scottie Pippen. Since his book released, there has been a lot of talk from Mr. Pippen, especially about Michael Jordan, who it really just seems like he just hates Michael Jordan. And it's, it's, it's become more apparent. And so much so that he even claimed that Michael Jordan may have ruined the game of basketball. Um, in an excerpt from the book, he said, I may go as far as to say that Mike ruined basketball. 
In the 80s on the playground, you'd have everyone moving the ball around, passing to help the team. That stopped in the 90s. Kids want to be like Mike. Well, Mike didn't want to pass, rebound, defend the best. That's why I always believe LeBron James is the greatest player. He does everything. So, believable or buffoonery, Michael Jordan ruined the game of basketball. Buffoonery? If anything, Michael Jordan, he put the game of basketball to a new a new height. Like he made the game of basketball global. Yeah. Before that, it was only an American it was only an American based game. And when Michael Jordan took over as the face of the NBA, it became a global game where everyone loved it. Because yeah, like while there were some great players, of course, before Michael Jordan going to the eighties, you got Larry and um Magic, Kareem, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, cats like that. Like you say, Michael Jordan globalized the game. Michael Jordan with him being quote-unquote flashy or not passing the ball, he showed that you can win and be great in another way. And, I mean, he inspired a whole another generation of players. Without Michael Jordan, we don't get the AIs. We don't get the Kobe's. We don't get the LeBron's. We don't get players like that because if everybody just did play the way that Scotty quote-unquote believes people should have played, the NBA would nowhere near be as popular as it is now. So, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that. All right, let's talk about John Wall. We talked about it earlier in the season. His contract is hefty, and it's looking like he's not going to be playing for the Rockets, so much so that uh, Adrian Woj reported that John Wall has no plans to play for the Rockets this season. It's also becoming increasingly likely that Wall will not land with another team. So, believable or buffoonery, John Wall would be better suited just retiring from the NBA. Uh, I would say I would say, I would say buffoonery, and the reason I'm saying this is because I feel like he his his true best option is if he wants to play for another team, is he will have to accept a buyout. The thing of it is, if he accepts a buyout, he will not receive the. I feel like he won't receive the full amount of his contract. Absolutely, not. and it's one of those things where it's like, hey. I might not be playing, but I'm still getting a bag. So I'm just going to continue to get a bag and not play. But I think if if his motives were to like be like, hey, I want to keep playing in the NBA, his best option is to just go ahead and get that buyout. I agree because when you look at it, I mean, John Wall, when he is healthy and when he's played, he's been a very serviceable player. But the biggest question is, can he stay healthy? And I think that no matter what team he would go to, he would be a bit of a role player. But looking at his contract, nobody wants to give that much money to a player who is just a role player, no matter what they did in the past. So I think that if he wants to continue his career. But other than that, I personally, I think he should retire. I mean, not retire, but I think he should accept a buyout as well. All right, let's go ahead and move on to his former team, the Washington Wizards, who um, in a recent piece done by The Athletic, uh, written by Zach Harper, they talked about their trade of Russell Westbrook and said this, the Washington Wizards moved Russell Westbrook for death, and the early signs show improvement, most notably their defense. I am absolutely buying the Wizards as an improved squad. Their balance is so much more evident. And, I mean, it has been evident. Players like Montrezl Harrell, um, 
and Kyle Kuzma are having some of the best years of their career. And in fact, right now, they are currently the top seed in the Eastern Conference with an 8-3 and three record. So, believable or buffoonery, the Washington Wizards are the clear winners of the Russell Westbrook trade. I think that this is definitely believable. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to say buffoonery for the time being. And the reason I'm calling buffoonery is because we can, I feel like we can't make this statement this early in the season. Because it's easy to make this statement now when the Lakers are struggling and it's hard, and it seems like it's hard for Russell Westbrook to fit in on their team. But who's to say um, a month to two months from now, every they get to jail and everything gets flowing, and then later on in the season, they win the NBA championship. Then that narrative will change. So I have to go with, for right now, that's fair, especially because let's be honest, the Washington Wizards aren't going to remain the top seed in the East all season. That's not going to happen. But yeah, for right now, I I think that the chemistry is not exactly there for the Lakers. It has not been the prettiest basketball to ever watch. So I'll say this in terms of who's the better team right now. Yes, the Lakers have more stars, but the um, Wizards have worked as a more cohesive unit. But, yeah, it's hard to really tell when it's just been, what, a month into the season, and there's still a lot more that needs to be played. Speaking of LeBron, though, Bleacher Report recently came out with a list ranking the most clutch players in the NBA since 2000. And LeBron took the top spot. In fact, it was LeBron, uh, Damian Lillard, Kobe Bryant, Ray Allen, Dirk Nowitzki, Paul Pierce, Kevin Durant, and Stephen Curry, who made the top eight. Believable or buffoonery? LeBron James is the most clutch player since 2000. I'm calling buffoonery. I don't see how Dame or LeBron are over Kobe Bryant, but that's a whole nother conversation. I, I, I know why Dame and LeBron are listed above Kobe, because the quote-unquote stat that they use to define clutch is shots taken within like I think the last five like maybe five to four minutes of a game is within five points that's why it's like that in my personal opinion to me what I define as clutch is who hit the most game with you right and if that's if, and by my it's one Kobe being Bryant and it's not up for debate yeah. but when they're using their definition of clutch then that argument might those not those that order might make a little bit more sense than what we think it does. But so I'm gonna say I'm somewhere in between. I think it just depends how you define clutch. Like you mentioned, when I think of clutch, I think of in moments like the game winners or when you need somebody to make a play or you need to win this game, whose number am I calling? And of everybody on that list, I'm still going Kobe. But I understand, like, from the, that metric, I get it. But even still, Kobe has more game winners than both of those cats. Damian Lillard, and I hate to pull the what did Damian Lillard win card, but I'll say this. If I'm calling somebody clutch, it's because you put your team in a position to win a really big game or have a really big moment. With Kobe, I got several of those. With LeBron, I also have some. But for Dame, I don't really have those same moments. So, still calling buffoonery. 
but it just depends, I guess, how you determine clutch. And their definition of clutch is very different than mine right now. But let's go ahead and move on and talk about Zion Williamson. It's been no secret. While he has been very talented, injuries have been the name of the game. He's had a very difficult time staying on the court. In fact, has not even stepped foot on the court yet this season. So much to where it's been begging questions about his longevity. One would um, even say, uh, this is from Dewong uh, Belsara of Kicks, and said, I think we're going to get Brandon Roy with Zion unless he loses the weight, um, citing his weight concerns being a big contributor in why he's been unable to stay healthy. So, believable or buffoonery, with Zion Williamson, we have another Brandon Roy on our hands. to training camp and play NBA games at a non in a weight that's not manageable to the, his play style, I can see him potentially being a brand of war. A guy that, that was extremely talented, but, you know, injured career too soon. Because the reality of it is is a very massive individual. And the way that he's able to explode and jump and have quick twitch movements and be explosive when driving to the hole. You can't continue to do those things when you're honestly 300, anywhere near 300 pounds. Right. I know. I know. At some points last season, when Zion was at his best, I think it was recorded that he actually had got down to like 265. And that is, in my opinion, that's a very manageable weight for Zion because he's still he's still big enough and bulky enough to overpower individuals. But it's not that pressure that you're putting on your body as being a 300-pound man. Yeah. And being honest, I know something about it personally because I'm a 300-pound man. Yes, I'm not a professional athlete, but I, I'm an individual that um, um, they regularly – plays basketball for for exercise and cardio just recreation and after a game if you watch if you watch me like walking after a game like you would think I got jumped because I'm always limping because one of my knees my one of my knees is always swollen very badly so I know the effects of having extra weight on your body so I could definitely see some truth behind it yeah I would agree with that especially with the t- the caliber of player that Zion Williamson is, he's a guy who is expected to be the face of the franchise, which means that they are going to work that man like a dog. His usage is going to be through the roof, especially once he gets healthy. Um, and they're going to be playing him a lot, especially because they feel like he'll be what's going to help them to win. However, if he's not going to be able to manage his weight, then it's going to be very problematic for him to maintain his health, which is going to lead to bigger problems down the road. So I do find some belief in it. All right, last piece. So just a few weeks ago, the NBA released its top 75 team, and one of the snubs was Kyrie Irving. Um, Andre Iguodala at the time mentioned that he felt like Kyrie Irving should have been not only been top uh, 75, but should have been a part of the top 25. In a recent interview with The Athletic, he even went so far to say, the only guys that I will allow you to say are better than Kyrie Irving are Magic Johnson, Steph Curry, and Isaiah Thomas. Believable or buffoonery? Uh, Kyrie Irving is a top four point guard all time. That's 
is buffoonery. Like, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of Kyrie Irving's game. I think he's an amazing talent. I think basketball player, but I don't think he's the best point guard in the history of the NBA. Not at all. I I uh, agree with you there. I mean, I think he said he gives some leeway to like um, Chris Paul as well, but like. I think that Kyrie Irving is very talented, and I think that sometimes the his personal beliefs and his personality kind of overshadow just how good of a player he is. But no, I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm not putting him that high. I mean, I would even argue I would put Russ over Kyrie Irving if we're comparing careers. I would put Russell Westbrook over Kyrie Irving. Is Kyrie more efficient? Yes, but in terms of just all encompassing things. I would put Russ above him. I would put Chris Paul above him. Like, he's a great player, and I don't dispute it, but top four is – that's asking for a lot, especially with the history of the tremendous uh, point guards that have came before. But, all right, let's go ahead and close out this show with our game picks for tonight, Saturday, um, November 13th, starting off with the Miami Heat versus the Utah Jazz. It was already been announced that Jimmy Butler would not be playing tonight, so I'm going with Utah. Memphis Grizzlies versus the Zionless New Orleans Pelicans. I got Grizz. I have Grizz, but if we lose, I'm going to be so upset. I mean, you never know. B.I. might go off. And low-key, the Pelicans have like been a thorn in the Grizzlies' side for the last few years. It's been weird. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Washington Wizards versus the Orlando Magic. Even without Bradley Beal, I'm going Wizards. Philadelphia 76ers versus the Indiana Pacers. I got 76ers. I got Pacers. Detroit Pistons versus the Toronto Raptors. I'm going Raptors. I'm going Raptors as well. Boston Celtics versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm going Celtics. I'm going Celtics. All right. And Minnesota Timberwolves versus the Los Angeles Clippers. I got Clippers. All right, everybody, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to continue to support the XReport.net. I repeat, the XReport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow XReport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The XReport. Ethan, before we close this bad boy out, is there anything you would like to say? That does suck, but I mean, low-key, at this point, he's already going to be a first-round pick, so I wouldn't risk it either. I understand. Uh, For me, go Tigers. Go Tigers, go, even though they lost today, and I'm disappointed. And Ravens, not even, you know, I'm not even going to say Ravens. Greg freaking Roman, before next week, who we play next week, the Bears? If we lose to the freaking Bears, whose offense <laughs> – for most of this season, has done jack diddly, we're going to have a real problem, boss. You want, you want to know what's crazy, though? Hmm. I feel like Greg Roman would be a good offensive coordinator for the Bears, simply because yeah. of Justin Fields' mobility. He'd be better there. You know what? They can have him. Take him. Take him. You can have him. I don't want him. Take him. But, no, Greg Roman, we got to do better next week because you know, of course, all the Bears are going to do now is blitz us straight to hell because that worked for the Dolphins. But 
We'll cross that bridge next week. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you. We'll see you all next time.